This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Today, we're continuing in our series at the movies, where Pastor Jeff is looking at how good fantasy stories actually correlate to the story of the gospel. Now, Pastor Jeff says that today's movie is the ultimate dad movie and it's called 42. Some of you may be familiar with it. If you haven't heard of it, that's okay. There's going to be nuggets of truth in here that you're able to apply to your lives today. It's a great sports movie about heroism. There's an antagonist and there's a champion. The best part, 42 is based on a true story of a famous American baseballer. Pastor Jeff is also reading passages from 2 Samuel chapter 17. Let's join Pastor Jeff now as he explains how good fantasy stories relate to the story of the gospel. Hey, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, verse 32 through 50. Because we're in a series, you may have noticed, called At the Movies. And this series, we are taking four popular narratives and showing how every good story Every story that draws us in really is a story of the gospel. The very best of stories resonate with us because their underpinnings relate to everyday life and living. Their themes, the good stories, the best of stories, tug at our souls. And they remind us of transcendence, of something that is beyond us, something that is eternal. And it captivates us with the possibilities that this is the way life is or this is the way life should be. In fact, it ought to be. And that's why we like a good story, because it often points to the ultimate story. And this week, we're, we're really looking at the ultimate dad story. We're looking at a dad's movie. Now, I know you've heard of dad jokes. Not even going to try those. This is a dad movie, and the movie's 42, and it's got everything that dads like. Sports, heroism, an antagonist, and a champion. And I really encourage you to see the movie. More importantly, I encourage you to read the autobiography of Jackie Robinson. It's the story of the incredible staying power and courage of Jackie Robinson, Major League Baseball's first Negro player. And I use the term because that's what the script writers use throughout the movie. I adore the movie, but not just because I love sports, because in my mind, it deals with one of life's most penetrating questions, and it's this. How do you live courageously in a world that tries to kill you almost every day? How do you get up, fathers, and face a new day when you know that they won't return your calls, somebody will stab you in the back, someone will betray you? How can you possibly, in a fallen world filled with evil and slander and gossip and dog-eat-dog, with no promise from Jesus that when you become a Christ follower, your life's going to be perfect suddenly, how do you face the world with courage? 
I got another phone call this week from my friend Brett Mullen. I've spoken about him often, so I won't tell the whole story again, but Brett is a friend that has Parkinson's. He called me last week and we began talking, and for the first time on FaceTime, here's this 61-year-old man began to cry. He said, Jeff, I woke up this morning and I started to get out of bed and I realized my legs no longer work. And he said, I'm so afraid, I'm so scared. My temptation was to tell my friend, don't worry, it'll be okay. That's what we say, isn't it? But really, it'll be okay? I can't walk, I can't talk, I can't tell my wife I love her anymore, I can't put the words together, I can't play golf, the thing I love doing. What do you mean it's gonna be okay? Really, it's gonna be okay? We heard recently about Jim Caviezel, who has been canceled and shamed because he has stood up for what he believed in in Hollywood that says they're tolerant, but in reality they're incredibly intolerant, especially of Christ followers. And so he's been canceled and shamed, and in response he said, but we're Christ followers, are not supposed to fit in. We're called to be different. And he did the right thing and he suffers for it. We pastors often want to say to people, like a Jim Caviezel, like a Brett Mullen, don't worry, it'll all work out. Really? It'll all work out? How do you know that? 42 shows us how Jackie Robinson was living a life, enjoying baseball with the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro Baseball League. And suddenly he's called up to the majors by Branch Rickey, played by Harrison Ford, the general manager of the Dodgers, who actually accomplished so much in baseball. He was a player, he was a coach, he was a general manager, but the one thing he wanted to do before he quit baseball was to integrate baseball. So he finds this vibrant young player by the name of Jackie Robinson, and he challenges Jackie to become the challenge, or champion rather, of the Negro baseball player. Jackie's smart. While he really wanted to play Major League Baseball, he also knew that as soon as he accepted this challenge that his family would be threatened, they would be attacked, possibly even killed. And he was right. When Jackie began playing Major League Baseball, according to his autobiography, there were constant threats on his life. And as you watch the movie 42, you, you start asking yourself, really, how can people be so cruel? Other teams boycott the Dodgers because they don't want to play against a team that features a Negro player. Players on his own team refuse to play, refuse to take the field, complaining we don't want to play baseball on the same field as a Negro. They actually sign a petition and deliver it to the coach and general manager. Anytime the Dodger team bus pulls up to a hotel, someone comes running out and denies them entrance because no Negro is going to sleep in our beds in our hotel. When they stop on the road at restaurants to eat, they refuse service because no Negro is allowed to eat with white folks at the same white table. Jackie can't even use the same restrooms as white folk. What's really interesting though, and you have to find some of this in the autobiography, but it's also depicted quite accurately in the movie, Jackie is the best of men. Maybe that's why he was chosen. When his new baby boy is born, we see Jackie peering through the window and uttering these words as he weeps. He says, you know, my father left me when I was young. I'll never leave you. I'll be with you until the day I die. We see Jackie as an honest man of character and integrity, but he's also mentally tough. So that when he's called up to the majors, 
Mr. Ricky, the general manager again of the Dodgers, asked Jackie this crucial question. He says, Jackie, can you be strong? Can you be the kind of man who walks away from a fight? And then he says, like any good Methodist would, like our Savior, you have to have the guts to turn the other cheek, he says to Jackie. They'll try to break you. They'll threaten your family. They'll threaten your wife, your children, your life. They'll try to get you to respond in anger. And when you do, they'll say, see, he is neither a ball player nor a gentleman. Jackie, can you live a life that is so above reproach that it will eventually silence even your worst critics? I think my favorite scene in the movie is a scene when Pee Wee Reese, the starting shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers, he comes into Mr. Ricky's office. The Dodgers are playing near Cincinnati, near Reese's hometown. And he comes into Mr. Ricky's office and he has one sheet of paper and he throws it down on Mr. Ricky's desk and he says, Mr. Ricky, I can't tolerate this. He's received one letter of threat. Somebody sent him a letter threatening to injure him, that is Pee Wee Reese, if he plays a baseball game on the same field as that Negro. So Reese complains to Mr. Ricky and says, Sir, I don't need all of this. I just want to play baseball. Mr. Ricky goes over to the filing cabinet, pulls over the cabinet, pulls out folder after folder after folder and stacks them on his desk and says to Pee Wee Reese, You got one letter? Jackie's got thousands. Pee Wee Reese responds by saying, well, sir, I just want to play baseball. I love Mr. Ricky's response. He goes, oh, I understand. I'll bet Ricky just wants to play baseball too. I'll bet he wishes he wasn't leading the league and hit by pitch. I bet he wishes that people didn't want to kill him. I'll bet he just wants to play baseball too. And every single game Jackie Robinson played required enormous courage. Now, I want you to take that just for a moment, set it over to the side. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? Maybe you don't. It's a great story in the Old Testament. And Goliath, in order to be, I guess, cost-effective and expedient, comes on top of the hill and looks over the mountain to the Israelites and says, hey, no need to shed all this blood. Just send out one man. And that one man, I'll take him one-on-one, mano-mano, and we'll get the thing done. Let me read it to you. It's in 1 Samuel 17, 4, 8, and 9. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. The term used in verse 4 for Goliath is the word champion, and champion is a Hebrew word that means the man between, meaning that the victory or the defeat of the champion is transferred or imputed to the entire army that he represents. So for 40 days, Goliath calls for a champion, a man between, and no one comes forward. Nobody. No one in Israel. Why? Well, they're terrified. Well, Goliath is intimidating. In fact, I think it's verse 4 that tells us his height was six cubits and a span. That's eight feet tall. That's pretty big. Lakers would have been after him for sure. Verse 5 tells us he had a bronze helmet. He wore a coat of scale armor and a bronze of bronze, rather, armor of bronze, that is, weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 125 pounds. You try walking around all day with 125 pounds extra weight on you. 
In verse 7, we're told that his spear shaft was like a reaver's rod, and it's iron point. So just the iron point of the shaft, the spear, weighed 600 shekels. That's 20 pounds. Robert Alter, listen now, Robert Alter, who is an expert on Hebrew narrative, who just lives about 200 miles uh, north of here, he's been writing and studying Hebrew narrative for years, shows us that you usually don't find this much detail in a war story. And he explains to us the reason is the writer's trying to show you how afraid Goliath is. You've heard of bringing a knife to a gunfight. Goliath's bringing a grenade to a slingshot fight. Robert Alter says the reason being Goliath's terrified. Alter says we make a huge mistake when we read the David and Goliath story and we say Goliath is here and he represents our fears and they are fearsome. And then here is David. He's an example of the manner in which we should approach our fears courageously. Alter says that's wrong. That's not the way the Hebrew narrative reads. The Hebrew story is to show us two alternate approaches to heroism, two different approaches to courage. Each one shows us a particular way we face the challenges of our lives, our fears, our worries, our concerns. How does Goliath deal with fear? Verse 42 of 1 Samuel 17, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Why do I care how handsome David is? Robert Alter says, this is the example of how Goliath despises David. He's sizing David up. He says, I'm big, you're small. I'm high tech, look at all this armor, even my spear, the end of it weighs 25 pounds. I'm high tech, you're low tech. I'm rough and rugged and battle tested. You're clean shaven, young and green. In other words, I'm red hot and you ain't diddly squat. And then verse 44 he says, Come here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Robert Alter says this is two different ways to approach our fears. One is counterfeit courage. The other one is real courage. This is so important. Goliath, how does he handle his fears? He bolsters his self-esteem. Here's who I am. He visualizes success. He says, I'm going to feed your flesh to the animals after I win this victory. He banishes his fears by huffing and puffing and flexing, right? You can see Goliath, I'm big. Everything, says Alter, about Goliath's appearance and body language says he's trying to build himself up in order to make his fears look small. This is the Goliath approach to courage. You say, well, why would Goliath fear David? I'll get to that in a moment. This is also the modern approach to courage. This is the manner in which our world has chosen to deal with fear. Bolster your self-esteem. Remember the little engine that could? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I can do it. Visualize success. I was on a modern counseling website and it read this way. It is crucial to get a feeling of what it feels like to have dealt with the situation that is causing you fear successfully. See yourself on the other side of the victory. Banish your fears. The power of positive thinking. Command that they be gone. Cast them aside by telling yourself that you can and you will be victorious. You with me so far? When I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, going to grad school, there was a time in my education that you get so filled with study and knowledge that you yearn for experience. And there was a time in this journey 
that I wanted something more. I just felt like I was learning the Bible and I was learning theology and I was learning eschatology and everything else to go with it, philosophy, whatever, but I just felt like I wasn't experiencing God. And I heard about a church, a friend of mine told me a church downtown Cincinnati. He said, Pastor Jeff, let's go. I hear great things are happening. So I, I just went and I had great expectations. I, I just wanted to feel God again. We walked into the auditorium. People were lining up everywhere to go onto the stage. And I thought maybe the pastor and the elders would pray and that we'd see God's hand move in a powerful way. But instead, what I saw was a lot of shouting and demanding and proclaiming things, almost as if the louder you shouted, the greater your chances of getting what you wanted from God. I started to get very uncomfortable. And there was a lot of conversation directed toward the devil. Everybody kept talking to the devil. Devil, you'll not have your way. The devil's name, I felt, was mentioned more than Jesus' name. And they would say things like, we command the healing of this woman. We see it as if it's already done. We proclaim it a reality. And there was lots of huffing and puffing. And I was very uneasy. I kept thinking to myself, why are you talking to the devil? I don't think that's wise. And how can you command anything? What happens if you already see it as done and you promise somebody that it's done and then it's not done? Will that not detract from their view of God in reality? Where's the humility? Where's the acknowledgement of God? This is when Goliath-type courage sneaks into the church. We shout louder, we think positively. If we banish our fears and visualize our success, then we'll be victorious. Well, what's the problem though? When you approach your fears this way, you become out of touch with reality. They had a little boy in a wheelchair on stage and the pastor and the elders lifted him up out of the chair and marched him across the stage and kept saying to all of us, look, he's walking. And I'm thinking, he ain't walking, you're dragging him. And they kept saying, we command that nothing bad will happen to you, no harm will come to you. And I kept thinking, why not? This is a dangerous world. You can't command that. You can yell and scream as much as you want. You can bolster your self-esteem. You can banish your fears through self-talk and positive thinking. Wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. I don't like where this is going. Don't you believe in prayer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You bet your life I do. And I've seen God do some amazing things, but you've got no authority to promise anybody anything other than that the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5, 16. When you pray, God releases his energy, but you don't know how he's going to release it. You don't know what he's going to do because you don't have the mind of God. Romans 8, 28, for God works everything together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. You have the promise that God will work everything together, even what you see as negative or evil or bad for his good purposes. The truth is, folks, this is a dangerous fallen world. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And if you think you do, you've lost touch with reality. You know, folks, even paranoid people sometimes have people who are out to get them. <laughs> Nobody's out to get you. Why not? And Christians have their own version of Goliath courage. I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible. I give 10%. I serve in ministries. I attend a life group. God would never allow anything bad to happen to me. What are you doing when you do that? You're building up your self-esteem. I'm a good person. You're visualizing the good. You're telling yourself you'll not suffer. You're banishing your fears through positive confession. Nothing bad will ever happen to you because you're good. You ever heard of John the Baptist? Chopped his head off. Ever heard of Jesus? Pretty good guy. Crucified him. 
Every single disciple and apostle murdered because they would not recant their faith. Really? Goliath took this approach and he lost touch with reality. You said, Pastor Jeff, but why, why are you suggesting that Goliath is afraid? Goliath would have been well aware of all the battles the Israelites had already won because of their God. God had given the armies of Israel victories over their enemies, even though the enemies were more technologically advanced, bigger and stronger. He knew that. That's probably why he wanted the thing he could control. He thought to himself, I can't control the armies in the battle, but I can control me, and I'm big, bad, and ugly, and I always win. Send out one man. Send out a champion. We'll go one-on-one. But as he bolstered his self-esteem, he bolstered himself right into insanity because he should have known that God can work through one man just as well as he can work through thousands. The Goliath approach to fear only works in short bursts. What do I tell my friend Brett Mullen? It's all going to be okay? I don't know that. Adrenaline's not going to help him. When he wakes up, or when you wake up one day and your legs don't work, when you're deteriorating, when you lose your ability to speak, when you can't tell your husband or wife that you love him or her, when your body no longer does what your brain tells it to, that time will come for all of us. And I were to tell you it's going to be okay, how do I know that? And what's really interesting, this is not even the type of courage that we most admire anyway. The kind of courage that inspires us is the kind that does the right thing, keeps moving forward, presses on without knowing when and how and if it will all end. We're talking about D-Day courage. When you get out of the boat and storm the beach fully aware that you're probably going to die. How do you do that? Man, that's inspiring. And that's what makes 42 so powerful. That's what makes Jackie Robinson such a great champion. You got to read his autobiography. The movie's good, but do them both. He knew that by becoming the first Negro in Major League Baseball, it could mean the end of his life, the oppression of his family. But the thought that he could champion the cause of his people kept him moving forward despite the possibilities of death. And as a result, Jackie Robinson paved the way for integration, not just in Major League Baseball, folks, but perhaps all professional sports. Mr. Ricky asked Jackie Robinson, can you be strong, Jackie? Can you show great courage by not fighting back? Can you stand your ground when everything you hold precious is under attack, disintegrating, under fire? What's his response? Yes, I can, he told his wife. God built me to last. He's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about something that comes from way down deep inside. He was under no illusion. He did not banish his fears. The power of positive thinking was not going to change the racism he experienced. These dangers he faced, they were real and present dangers. He didn't puff himself up, diminishing his fears. He moved forward doing the right thing despite the size of his fears. Hey, do you remember the Old Testament story? Just a quick version. Esther? She was absolutely terrified. Her people are on the verge of annihilation. Haman, an evil man, evil government official in the kingdom, was trying to commit genocide against her people. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. David is not an example for us. 
And he wasn't an example for the Israelites either. He doesn't say, okay, everybody do what I do. Go down by the river, grab five smooth stones, take off all your armor, drop your shields, go in with your shields down. You obviously never saw Star Trek. Stand out in the open and fire. David's not their example. He's their champion. He's their savior. He's their deliverer. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.